Welcome to the Dan Norton Show. Today, I am here with, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Daniel Ortner. I'm um, an attorney, at the uh, a, a public interest lawyer at, uh, doing conservative uh, libertarian work and uh, also a, a believer and um, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know what else. <laughs> Sorry, that was a uh, that's choppy fine. introduction. That's right. So we're kind of winging it here. Um, okay, so I recently got in touch with you through Facebook. Mm-hmm. I had been posting on various sites asking if people were interested in having discussions about or debates about various topics, and you 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 responded to one of those and said you you were interested in having a discussion. So um, yeah, that's that's uh, what led to this. Um, so in particular. Uh, you had told me that you you were an atheist. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I guess one of the posts that I put up was anyone inter- interested in discussing atheism or whether the issue of whether God exists, um, you know, feel free to get in touch. And I don't know if that's one of the ones you were responding yeah. to. But anyways, you, you told me that you had been an atheist and you had then transitioned to being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, that's right. And I thought that might be interesting to talk about. So sure. Yeah. Uh, why don't you just tell us uh, about that transition? Yeah. And, uh, what led to it? So I had a, a interesting, I guess I would say, faith faith journey throughout my life. I, I, I mean, my, my parents, I was raised in a, a Jewish household, but a rather secular Jewish household. Um, my my mom was uh, a believer in God. She was uh, you know had a strong personal faith, but wasn't very practicing, very active in in, in practicing. But other we we had a lot of the Jewish holidays and traditions in my home, but she wasn't very um, you know wasn't observant. Uh, didn't keep um, uh, Sabbath every weekend, for instance, or keep kosher in the house or things like that. But she was very believer a believer in God. My dad was, I, w- I would say, depending on when I talked to him, he was either an atheist or an agnostic, depending on the, the day and the mood and his, his feelings about the, the world. He was very jaded about God because of um, a lot of my ancestors died in the Holocaust, and that really uh, turned him away from any belief in, a, in God, and especially in a, in a loving God. He really just didn't, didn't see how that was possible, that there could be a God. Um, a loving God uh, that allowed people to suffer. So I grew up with that background. Um, I was uh, very involved in, in faith, in, Jew, in Jewish activities in, in high school. I was also, uh, had a lot of friends who were Christian. And so they, they were you know, trying to talk to me about their faith. And so I was also very curious about their, their traditions as well. Um, but when I was um, in high school, my, my mom was diagnosed with, with a ovarian cancer and she, she died when I was 18. Uh, when I was in, just finishing high school uh, from cancer, and that uh, event really shattered my 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 faith in God. Uh, I became a very very strong, ardent atheist for a couple of years. I, I was uh, involved with the. I went to Brandeis University for my undergraduate, and I was a member of their humanist society. I would you know try to start debates with with faithful uh, people that I knew at, at the university, and and really are arguing with them about the nature of God and. Um, so that was for a couple of years. I was very, very uh, intensely atheist, um, and and uh, would would argue with people about about the how there cannot be a god, and it doesn't make sense that there's a god. And I had a a personal you know, con- conversion uh, towards God. I think it was a lot of things that influenced me. 
One was that I, I, I've always had questions, even when I was an atheist, when I was growing up, about the purpose of life, why we're here, where we come from, where we're going. Those kind of deeper questions have always really gnawed at, at me. Um, and and I, I felt a real a, a tugging, a pull to, to keep learning about faith to explore more. Even when I felt that at the time I was definitely an atheist, um, something in me was, was pulling me uh, to, to want to learn more about faith. Um, at the same time, one, one of my best friends uh, in undergrad, uh, she was uh, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but she was also not, not active in the church at the time. She wasn't involved with it at all, really, for the first couple of years that I knew her in college. Uh, but I'd heard a little bit about it from her, and, and she started getting involved with her faith again, and uh, right at this time when I was interested in looking into to religion again, and so I, I made the decision uh, kind of out of, out of the blue a little bit to, to look into her faith a little bit and to try to, to attend to see what it was it was like. Um, so at first I went to a bookstore and I, I pulled out, I went to Barnes & Noble um, at the time and I, I got a, you know, book Mormonism for Dummies, uh, a, a, a idiot's guide, a complete idiot's guide, and, and started looking into those books and had a really unusual experience of feeling like the things I was reading about just resonated somewhere deep within me. Like what I was reading was something I'd never heard before, the, the doctrines about where we come from, uh, what Latter-day Saints called the plan of salvation, the, these ideas of like with the purpose of life. But I felt something within me really just stir and, and resonate with it in a way that was really unexpected. Um, that you know, made me feel like I'd, even though I'd never heard it before, something I'd always deep down known inside. And that really pushed me uh, to want to learn more. So I began to, to go to, to church with her um, and I began to, um, I met with missionaries and I began to pray about um, whether the things that would be, was being taught were, were true. Um, and I, I had a, a, a couple of friends who were really against my, this, this process, you know, they were very skeptical. They, they especially didn't like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for, they thought it was, you know, closed-minded and, and bigoted and they didn't like the organization. So they would begin talking to me about why all the reasons I shouldn't be looking into it or shouldn't be interested in it. And so one, one evening I was talking to a friend who was really going heavy into criticizing uh, the, the church. And I felt this uh, feeling that I needed to go uh, in Boston. I was going to school in Boston at the time. There's a, the church, we have a temple um, uh, in near Boston, the, the church, uh, and I'd never been there before. It's not where they have usual Sunday meetings. It's a, it's a, a building that's only for special ceremonies, um, like, like marriages are done at temples, for instance. But, so I felt like I should go to the ground, go there. I'd never been there before, but it was, and it was like nine o'clock at night on a, a Friday night, uh, but I, I felt really strongly that I needed to dr drive there. So I got in my car, uh, drove there, and when I got there, I had a, a really life-changing spiritual experience where I, I felt God's presence so powerfully in my life. Um, I felt, I knew that he was, he loved me and was there. Um, I knew that he cared about me. And I, I saw who he wanted me to be, who I could become if I followed him. I saw his, the, the way he saw me, the potential that he saw in me. Um, and that experience really changed me. Um, you know, I, I was a, a skeptic uh, up until that moment. And even after that, I, right afterwards, I drove to some other nearby churches to kind of test it out for myself to see if I'd have the same reaction to other um, organizations or other, other uh, religious practices. And the experience was, was different. It, it was not, not the same at all. It, I admit, and I, I went back afterwards and, and prayed again and felt really transformed into a different a different person uh, in some respects, um, and that experience really changed my my life. You know, since then I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've had a lot of experiences. I've had a lot of challenges in in uh, opposition from family and friends and others to 
my my faith path and my my journey. But that experience really gave me a foundational conviction that hasn't changed. Um, that was now 10 years, 11 years ago. It was in 2000, no, actually 2008, so thir uh, 12 years ago, um, or 10, 10 and a half, or 11 and a half years ago. And it really changed my life uh, since then. Th that feeling, that conviction has not left me, and it, it's really changed everything else in my life. Um, you know, it led me to, I served a mission for my church for two years as a missionary in Russia. Uh, after that, a couple years, a year after that, um, it, it really changed my life. And that, that, you know, that feeling of, of certainty and, and, and conviction from God has not really left me since that time. So that, that, you know, that, that kind of certitude that I, I felt from what felt to me like the, from the source, from God himself was something that, that has really changed my life for, forever, I, I'd say. So, okay. Yeah. Thanks for telling us all that. So let me just see if I got the overall uh, arc of your story. So you you started out growing up in a Jewish or at least culturally Jewish yeah. household, and then uh, I went I went to like a Jewish day school. You know, it was, we were very involved with Judaism, but my 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 dad was kind of atheist, and my mom was. Uh, you know, culturally Jewish very strongly, but not uh, not very uh, not not very orthodox in her practice at least. Okay, and then you had this experience where your your mother passed away when you were in high school or around yeah. that time, and that that uh, shattered your belief in God, or at least made you question it. And then yeah. it was that. So that's what led you to the period of atheism. And then when you were in college early on, you, you met this person who was a Mormon um, and then you had certain questions or philosophical uh, issues you were interested in and that you, yeah. you started to explore religion again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I actually really would let, part of what led us to me, I, I spent the summer uh, while I was in college, one of the summers doing a study abroad program in China um, in, uh, it was a public health, um, summer study abroad program that I did um, in the southwest of China and in, in Yunnan province in China. And while I was there, I, I um, spoke to a lot of people who were of Eastern faiths. And also my, my instructor there was a Christian, a, a non-denominational Christian. And we had very long, very detailed conversations about God and the purpose of life. And um, that summer really sparked to me a desire again to just begin learning more, begin exploring, you know, see where that led me to. I, I didn't really have an idea of where it would lead me um, at the time, but I, I felt a, a, a need to reconnect or to, to find deeper, some, something deeper than myself. Um, and so that, that led me to begin looking into different faiths uh, and ultimately uh, my friend who was a member of the, my the church that I, I joined influenced me into looking into that that faith but it was it was really a deeper desire to explore and to, to feel like I needed some higher connection or higher purpose in my life that, that I was I was lacking in some way okay I guess I'm interested in maybe understanding a little better mm -hmm. the maybe two things first the, the reasons for for rejecting religion and then second the reasons for yeah. going back to religion and you've said some things about that but i, I i'm wondering if maybe we can dig into that yeah, a, a little more 
so I, I, I felt like, I mean, leaving faith, I think I had a, I, I viewed, it, viewed it as kind of three, three legs of a stool almost of like why I, I felt like I didn't believe in a God. And it was, first of all, you know, scientifically, it didn't make, seem to make sense to me that there was a God, you know, learning about evolution, learning about the, the nature of the world. It seemed more logical to me at the time that there was no, no higher purpose or higher creator. The second piece was a feeling that you know, religion had generally been a force for bad in the world rather than good in the world. So a sense that people don't really need religion uh, to be able to be good people and that religion had actively had, had done uh, bad in, in some respects. And the third was, uh, uh, I guess, a more personal feeling of uh, you know, the, the, if there is a God, it, it doesn't feel like he's really the kind of loving, caring um, creator that, that, that you know, Christianity or Judaism talk about, that um, at best he's kind of indifferent um, and it worse, you know, actively harming people. Um, so that, that was kind of the three three things that I, I really latched onto, I think was, well, I guess scientifically, it seemed like less likely that there was a God. Um, and it seemed like God, the faith in God wasn't really a, a force for good in the world. Um, and, and it seemed hard to believe in a loving loving God to me. I think those were maybe the, the things that really, really pushed me away from faith. Um, together with, uh, you know, in general sense that people didn't really need God. People could still be good, which I, I, I do think is true. People can be good people without belief in God. So I had a, a really sense that I di why did I need? I didn't need this belief, and it wasn't good, and it wasn't wasn't accurate. So that that was uh, those are the factors I think that pushed me away. I generally um, pushing me coming back to God. I think it was a little different. You know, it, uh, it was more experiential. Like I, I mentioned, you know, this feeling of connecting to God. I have come to realize, and this is my, my, my take, my feeling is that if there is a God, um, he loves every person in the world, every soul, every person born in this world is, you know, my belief is he's a, a, a child or daughter, every soul is a child or daughter of, of a, love, a, a loving, a, a, you know, a loving parent, in, um, and so if that's true, how would God want to communicate with us? He would want to speak to each of us personally in our own language that we understand, and that language is not going to be this. It, it, not everyone is a college educated in the world. Not everyone has a has a degree. Not everyone is a lawyer. Not everyone is a, a linguist. Not everyone can read scriptures the same way in the same original language. Not everyone has the same understanding. But there is a universal language. That is what I've come to personally understand, which is that communication through God, through prayer, uh, through the Spirit, where He directly wants to communicate to each of us. That's kind of a universal language that cuts across barriers. Um, and that experience is really what led me to my belief. It's, it's not, I, I, I've always thought that the, the intellectual case for God, there, there are arguments against his existence, the arguments for his existence. Um, there are arguments, reasons to believe that the world is unlikely to have come about through evolution and, and chance. There are reasons to accept evolution and chance as the, the source of the world. Um, but that the tiebreaker is our own experiences um, and how God speaks to us individually. Um, and so that was really the, the, the force for me was this personal experience that I felt that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before, that was different from my own internal thinking and reasoning, but was coming to me from something higher than myself. That was really what pushed me to, to, to re-embrace and, and believe in God again, that, that personal uh, conviction and experience that I had. Okay, so it's uh, interesting that there's there's kind of a, there's a difference between the reasons that led you to abandon God yeah. and then the, the reasons that led you to come back. They, they're different. It seems it's not like um, 
so you said you had this three-legged stool and there were scientific reasons for disbelieving in God. And uh, I guess to, to just to take that one leg, it's not like when you no. went back to God, it's not like you thought, oh, the scientific reasons are no longer there. It's that you had different grounds entirely. Um, yeah. So you might still hold, well, I don't know. I mean, do you think, do you still think that there are scientific grounds against God and it's just that the experience overpowers that or, or do you no longer think there are scientific grounds? I'm wondering like how those, yeah. are those three legs of the stool still in yeah. place and pulling you in the other direction? And it's just that the experience is a stronger pull or, or what? I, I don't think, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I would say that with regard to the science and, and, his evolution and other topics of that that sort that it's just a misunderstanding of people understanding god god doesn't work outside of the laws of nature god is a, a, a works through the world he creates the world through natural processes um the way that we as latter-day saints view god is he is um the or an organizer uh, of matter he uh created the world out of what existed he built it uh, he organized it through natural forces and so I, I see science and god as being ultimately compatible and there are things we you know that that religion has traditionally thought that conflicts with science but ultimately science you know it, i mean one it could be that we don't have a full understanding of science there's still you know always a indeterminacy in science but to the extent that it conflicts with the traditional understanding of, of some doctrine some belief um the, you know god works through through science and science is a way that we can better understand the creator of the universe ultimately so i, I just don't I, I see the conflict differently than i used to I, I used to, I think I had a very traditional view of God as, um, I mean, the traditional Christian view or Ju Judeo-Christian view is created a world out of nothing, operates outside the laws of nature in some way. Um, everything is, is miraculous. Um, and I, I don't see God that way anymore. I see him as working within the laws of nature to create the world um, and create and, and send us here to this world uh, as part of his his design. Uh, but it, 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 so I, I think that that, that change um, helped me uh, have be less troubled with scientific issues that you know that, that are potentially challenging. I see them as something that can either will be reconciled, it or has either has been reconciled, will be reconciled, or ultimately that you know that we need to understand better the the laws of the world to better understand God how He works ultimately. Okay, so there's I guess there there can't be. There can't be a conflict, or um, I guess you, you don't see any contradiction right now, at least, between believing in God and then believing in a scientific view of the world. You, you think those those are compatible? Yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, that there's more to the world that we don't understand yet. Um, uh, you know, thinking about knowledge about subatomic particles, how recent a development it is to really understand and be learning more and more about uh, sub subatomic particles and quarks and neutrinos whatever whatever other you know other um sub 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 subatomic particles we learn about um i i think that you know it, my view is that everything is material the spirit the soul that is a material thing it's just something we don't yet understand we don't can't quantify it we can't measure it's something that that is you know currently not within our comprehension of uh, scientific measurement but it ultimately is a scientific thing it's it is material there is no you know, no immateriality there's nothing that doesn't exist in the physical universe ultimately god god is 
working through matter um, and through through science ultimately. To, but he you know he understands the laws better than we do. I mean, thinking uh, if today we went back and showed people 200 years ago some of the things we developed, you know, the atom bomb, nuclear technology, the internet, uh, they would think it's magical and science and unscientific. Um, just like we would think we think that when God works through some higher rules or laws that we don't yet understand of the world. But nothing is unscientific, nothing is immaterial. It, it's all just using uh, maybe a higher level of comprehension that we have currently, but it's all based on the same, same rules, the same order that we understand is the way I, I, I view it. Okay. It's interesting that you, you think everything, even the soul is, is material. I, I think many Christians would say it's immaterial, uh, but yeah. you know maybe you, you have a different view on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Latter Day Saints, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter Day Saints has some some big differences in from other other Christians and a couple of things that I think to me make a big difference in how I I understand some of the things I struggled with. I mean, the big thing I struggled with growing up was this: I, the question of the, you know the Odyssey, like why does God allow bad things to happen? Why why um, yeah and ultimately what is god's purpose for us you know if he's a creator what does he want us what what's the reason that he sent us to this world what why is it why are we here at all and you know latter-day saints have a very different answer or understanding of that it's that god like i said he's he's our father he's a parent figure but his purpose is to help us become like him ultimately like to to really uh each of us has the, the kind of a spark of divine in us to become ultimately like like god in every way it there's no ontological gap between us and God uh, in our theology. It's God is a perfected version of us that we can become like him ultimately. And so that that's a really big conceptual difference, I think. And, and it, it leads, you know, it, it also results in a sense that everything is material because God, God is tangible. We are tangible. Like it, it's just different, different types of, of substance or matter, but it's all ultimately physical um and it's perfected you know the, the the purpose is to help us become perfected help us become our best selves our ultimate um ultimately like him um and and like our, our savior jesus christ that they have already followed set the path for us to follow and the, that that idea that it, to me is really was really empowering um and changed really changed my perspective on on these kind of questions i had you know why is there suffering um it, it's, it's just a different understanding of the world that god is not you know, in charge of, he doesn't direct everything to happen. Instead, he creates the world, places us here, gives us agency, freedom to act. Um, and, and, you know, his, it just, it really just changes, changed a lot of my understanding of, of these kind of questions I always had. It really reconciled them in some ways that, that um, gave me a lot of, a lot of comfort and a lot of direction. Okay. Uh, just one thing uh, before I, I want to ask about the, uh, go back to the issue of science in a minute, but yeah. just uh, one clarification of your view. On your view, is God himself uh, a material thing? Yeah. Okay, so everything, the soul and God, everything yeah. is material. And would you yeah. say there's nothing that's non-material? Yeah, I think everything ultimately is is is, a, uh, is material. I mean, it might be you know, finer, like materials we don't yet understand. We don't know how they work. We can't measure them. We can't observe them yet. In um, but it's all ultimately material. Okay. Okay. So maybe you could be called the materialist of uh, <laughs> to use that term. Okay. So I want to go back to the issue of uh, science and whether 
it's compatible with belief in God, at least the kind of God that you believe in. Yeah. So let, let's take uh, the trait of omnipotence. This is a trait that uh, is often attributed to God. He's omnipotent, all powerful. And what exactly does that mean? Well, yeah. does that mean, for instance, that he can make something all red and all green at yeah. the same time and in the same respect? Or so heavy he can't lift it or the, these, yeah, all these yeah, take the, yeah. So what do you think about that? Like, can God yeah. make contradictions? No, no. So, so I, I think the way that we, I would see omnipotence is God, he's working within the, the, the universe that exists. He's not um, omnipotent, maybe in the traditional sense of able to do absolutely anything because he didn't create the universe out of nothing. He didn't, he's, it, it's not, you know, it, it's a different reality, a different understanding of, of him in, in some respects. So he organizes, he shapes, and he works according to rules and uh, of the universe. You know, it, there's something that what it means to be a God in a way is to be, uh, perfectly good to be um, perfected in, in the sense that God is and that he um, acts a certain way, but it, he can't go contrary to that nature of, of, of what it means to be a God in some respects. Like he, his being God means he, he, he works within certain constraints. Um, like the big one is our agency. God uh, cannot compel us or force us to believe. He cannot compel us to, to act a certain way contrary to our, our, our individual will. Um, because to, to do that would, in some ways, he would stop being God. It would be contrary to his very nature as deity uh, to force or compel another uh, person, another soul, another being to act in a certain way. It, it, it's, I mean, it, it's not that maybe he theoretically, whether he theoretically could or couldn't do that is, is, is different, is, is a question I don't, don't have an answer to necessarily, but it's, it's contrary to his nature as God to, to do so, uh, whether he theoretically could do so or, or not. He would stop being anything that we would consider God if he would act in a way contrary to that nature. Um, in, in our, our church, we, we have the idea that Satan in opposition to God, uh, Satan's big plan, his, his goal, his desire was to against, essentially subvert agency, subvert individual freedom of choice, to say to people, you don't have a choice how to act, or we're taking away any of your freedom to act, um, act one way or the other, for good or for evil. Uh, so that idea is, is contrary to what God, God is about, which is allowing us to exercise our free agency uh, and make choices for ourselves. So that, that is, is a major part of his nature, ultimately. He can't go against that, I, I would say. Okay. So uh, setting aside human beings and whether God can interfere with human beings agency, yeah. uh, just take, I'm wondering, are there, so it sounds like on your view, there are some limitations on God's power uh, or you can confirm that or disconfirm yeah. that. Um, like he, he, can he make contradictions like the rock? Can he, can yeah. he make a rock? Can he make a rock that's all green and all red or painted all green and all red at yeah. once? Uh, you would say no to that. Definitely no. I, I never thought about the specifically, you know, the idea of making something contradictory in that way. I mean, it seems like, I don't know how that would work. Uh, just, practically thinking and believing, you know, thinking things are material, things have some physical rules or reality that, that are binding them, you know, maybe, I mean, if there's some principle we don't understand yet that would allow 
you know, like some Schrodinger's cat-like principle of things simultaneously existing in two states that we don't yet understand, perhaps there'd be some way for that to be possible. But at least according to my understanding of, of laws of the universe, that, that wouldn't be possible. Okay. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that there'd be you know, two contradictory things existing simultaneously um, would, doesn't, doesn't fit that, that, those rules, at least as far as we understand them. I mean, the, the opening to, you know, the possibility there's something beyond our understanding of, of the rules of nature, but limit, you know, to the, the best of my understanding, there'd be no, there would not be possible. Okay, then, then that makes me wonder whether it's right to say God is all powerful. So if, if we want to take mm -hmm. that term all powerful in its most literal sense yeah. as the power to do anything, yeah. then now I don't know if this, maybe this is a straw man interpretation of what uh, people who say God is all powerful mean by that. So if they don't mean uh, that God can even uh, make contradictions possible, yeah, okay, and I, I, some but, people but would, then would I say yes. More clear on what they what they do mean. Yeah, so some people would say yes. Mm -hmm. I, I you know some people would say yes that God can do anything. That's what omnipotence means. But my understanding of it, and I, I think that at least my understanding of the, my my church's view of it, uh, Latter Day Saint tradition view of it, is God is you know, is 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 all powerful in the sense that he understands the rules and laws of the universe perfectly he is able to to use them perfectly for his will but he he isn't beyond those rules he doesn't can't go against the the nature of of, of reality ultimately so i i think that 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 would be the the way we i would see omnipotence would be not that he can do absolutely anything at all whatsoever but that he's kind of the perfect uh, has the perfect understanding of how everything operates um in the in the universe and can use that uh, in ways that we we can't comprehend yet because our understanding is is so much more limited we are seeing things so in a limited perspective you know he and it, part of that is you know kind of the idea that he's somewhat beyond time you know he sees time the present and the future um at at, at one moment and, and operates in a different way way with relation to time which i don't under, i mean I'm, I'm not a theologian i have not delved into that into the degree that i know some have but it, you know, this is understanding that he is—he sees the possibilities and the, and the future in a way that we don't yet, because we are living in a world that's limited in our understanding, where we are not able to see the full results of our actions, the full you know, impact of it, and we don't understand the rules that operate fully. So, I see him more as um, this—it's you know, a, a master scientist, a master crafter, someone who fully understands exactly how things operate and can manipulate it in a way that we, we just can't understand. It's just beyond our, our present conception of, of reality. Okay. So you're, uh, it, what's coming to mind is another trait that is often attributed to God, which is omniscience. Mm -hmm. So he's not only all-powerful, he's all-knowing. And when you say he understands everything, uh, I think of omniscience there yeah. more so than omnipotence. But then you, you also add to that that he, he uses his understanding in ways that uh, are able to manipulate the world, I guess. So um, I, I just want to first identify that there's this yeah. other trait here, omniscience. And I, I want to know how exactly does that relate to the the trait of omnipotence so you're saying yeah. he uses his omniscience in order to or at least he can use his omniscience in order to affect the world yeah 
Um, but can we go back to the affecting the world part of that? Sure. And I, I want to get more clear on in what sense is he omnipotent? So let's say that, um, let's just stipulate for the sake of argument that God is omniscient, uh, assuming that's yeah. a meaningful thing to do. Um, he knows everything. Now, let's say he wants to, um, I don't know, make make a uh, an elephant pop up right behind me. I mean, is does his omnipotence allow him to do something like that? Would you say? Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I, I I wouldn't discount that it's, it's certainly possible um, that he could do so. I, it just seems like the the way that he operates uh, is through natural laws and principles he sets them up and allows them to run and operate themselves and he um does that i think but partially because this this world is for us to have experiences in in a in a limited confined reality confined world the, the space that we live in uh where you know he he sets us here to have experiences and to to live in in a world that's, that's bounded in some ways and so i i don't know i, I don't know if it would theoretically be possible for him to do that i i, I don't I, I don't know that whether it would be or not um, i think it probably would be possible uh but not through a way that i could understand or or you know, explain and it, it certainly isn't the way that he usually operates um, through he operates through the world uh, establishing um, you know, establishing the world governed by natural laws and principles so it, it seems contrary to to the way that he has ha typically worked within the world okay but you wouldn't rule it out like maybe you said it's possible uh, that he could do such a thing, but maybe we haven't seen it yet. But you allow that it's it's possible that. Uh, yeah, I, I I mean I I don't think there are any rules or any anything that we we understand right now that would allow you know spontaneous generation of something like like an elephant. The only way that that we've ever seen in the world for something like an elephant to come about is through natural process of, of birth, and so I, there's nothing that I that would allow me to think that it is is possible. But I'm open to the you know, the idea that there could be processes that we don't understand uh, in the world but but based on everything we've we experience in life there, there isn't a way for that to happen okay so here how does god in your view relate to the laws so you said he he has this he's omniscient he understands everything yeah uh, now these laws that govern the world i if that means things like newton's laws the laws of physics. Um, what is God's relation to those laws in your view? Did, did, those, did he create those laws or did those laws, do they exist independently of God and then yeah. he just has knowledge of them, but he can't alter those laws? Yeah, I would say he, he, he doesn't create the laws. Though the world was created, was, it, 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 he didn't create things out of nothing. Uh, things existed and God is an, an, an actor on them. He organizes. The principle, I think, is organization out of chaos, uh, taking um, you know, entropy and uh, creating organization, uh, helping things become more progress, more progressed and more advanced, ultimately. So he takes matter that's uncreated, un unshaped, and forms it into um, things that we, we see today, into the world, into our, uh, into us. You know, something about us, you know, our understanding is it predated 
uh, the creation of the world. You know, we had uh, existed beforehand, but God shapes us. He helps to uh, take our you know, potential that we have, the, the, the kind of untapped potential that we, we have, and to give it direction and form. Uh, he, gives a, he helps create a world where we can come and have a physical experience, get a physical body, uh, and progress uh, in that body and have those experiences. And so it's, it's more of an organization, or he's organizing according to the laws of the universe to help perfect things, to bring things to um, their most perfect state, to, the mo to, to help them from a lower state to a higher state of being. Okay, so the uh, so there's more here that seems to uh, differentiate your view from some other views that I commonly associate with Christianity. So I think Christians will often say God created the world. Yeah. Uh, I guess out of nothing. Uh, there was nothing, and then God created the world, or maybe nothing except God himself, and then yeah. then God created everything else. Um, but I think what you were just saying is that God didn't do that. He didn't create something out of nothing. He, he took, uh, I guess, matter that was already existing, and then he just formed it into a more perfect way okay so he didn't create ex nihilo um he just perfected what was already there and i guess the you, you think the laws also existed independently of god and he just uses the laws in order to form things into a more perfect way is that how you see it yeah god is uh, the the one who's shaping who's directing who you know who's trying to i mean it, understanding you know his purpose is to help us uh become uh he in the there's a you know joseph smith who was the the first leader of our church the prophet uh, we consider him to be a prophet of god mm -hmm. he had a, a revelation um uh, something called the book of moses which is a it's it's a, a kind of a, a commentary an inspired commentary on on genesis it's, it's a store additional stories about moses uh that we don't have in the book of genesis in the bible and in there god says you know the, the, his work and his glory is to bring to pass the eternity the immortality and eternal life of man you know that that's ultimately what his his purpose is in the world is to help us to become perfected uh you know to reach our full potential to uh have eternal be eternally like him ultimately like like god is um and that that's the the, the purpose of it is that this goal of taking things that are not perfect and and helping them to rise up to their full potential and perfection and perfectibility okay so one question i have is it, are these views that you're describing, namely the, the view that God did not create the world out of nothing and he didn't create the laws, but the world and the laws exist independently of God. Are these views that basically everyone who's a Mormon holds? Or? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I don't think mo most people, members of the church, probably not thought too much about some of, some of the questions we talked about, like who created the laws of nature. Uh, it, it would just not be a question that we would, would think about maybe in the same way. Like, but but I, I think if, if you ask, I think most anyone would would have that view that, you know, God is, you know, not, not well, definitely it, it is a, a church belief that God did not create the world out of nothing, that he organized matter, um, that he 
works within some constraints or some rules, um, some, some principles that God has to abide by because of his nature, because he is God. You know, to be a God require, it requires a certain nature, a certain character, um, and a certain way of, of acting that, that God has um, to, to be anything that's meaningfully you know, considered God. Um, so I, I think that, that that that's commonly held. I, I don't know that everyone has thought about some of the questions about where where did the rules come from? Uh, did they predate God, or how is God shaped by them? It, it's not something I, that people tend to think about very much, but I think it it is commonly held belief. Okay. Well, I'm I'm wondering now what is the relation of the Mormon Church to uh, I guess older Christian denominations because mm -hmm. if you uh well do you first of all do you uh do you take what is your view of genesis i mean do you take it literally that god created why well, well i mean according to genesis at least on some people's interpretation god created the various things out of out of nothing i think yeah there was nothing and then he said let there be such and such yeah uh and i guess you you don't agree with that, at least in a literal way. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, Genesis, I, I, I think that, you know, scriptures are, are written uh, by, you know, revelation from God, but imperfect people write them based on their own understanding of the world and, and their, their reality. I, I, I don't think Genesis was, you know, when it was written, it was meant to be a, a history, a, a science textbook about the, necessarily every aspect of creation of how God made the world. I, I do generally believe in, in the Genesis and the Bible is inspired of God, but I, I think it, and I, I, with the question of create, uh, I, I think that actually, if you go back to Hebrew, you know, Barah, uh, bara, the term in Hebrew, doesn't necessarily refer to out of nothing. It, it could be creating, shaping things um, in, into into uh, form based on where they, you know, what, uh, not out of nothing, but out of uh, un, un, uh, chaos or un, un, unorganized matter. That's what God operated from. Um, so I think that that reading of Genesis to me is consistent with what Genesis says. Uh, but I, I don't think Genesis or the Bible is meant to be a, a scientific textbook of everything that we uh, you understand about exactly the mechanism God used for everything in creation. I think it, it what it sets out is a general principle, which is a couple things. One, God is, is the creator of the world. He is sovereign over the world. He did make the world. Two, that you know the, the idea that the pinnacle of creation was the creation of man, that we were put on earth uh, by God's plan um, to be stewards over the world. The, the role that Genesis sets out for God, uh, for, for man in the world, I think it is a really important part of the, the Judeo-Christian kind of understanding of the world. Um, that God is, uh, you know, the, the purpose of creation is, is for man to be here. Uh, and we are kind of central to his plan. It's not, you know, it's not accidental. It, it, it's a central part of that role. I think I think that that to me is what what Genesis the most important thing about Genesis is it's not the specific um, exact mechanisms of how things were created uh, or how much time passed between them. I, the, the, you know, there's no reason we'd take days to mean one day versus a thousand years versus any indefinite period of time. Um, I, I think it, it, it's not that's not the purpose of the text. It's like you know, like if you take a book um, that's a fiction book about car, you know, about something about cars and you, you, you try to think it, apply it as if it's a textbook, uh, a, a mechanics textbook. That, that's just not the purpose of the writing of Genesis, but it, it, its purpose is to reveal you know, deeper truths about the world um, in a way that people at the time understood. So I just, I don't, I, it doesn't don't worry too much about the 
question of is Genesis an exact um, explanation of the world, uh, I think it, it, it sets out the true principles and it, it's done in a way that in some ways is figurative, in some ways is, is not, not literal or is not meant to be interpreted literally at all. So, but we, we I, I do, I mean, I do think Genesis is, is inspired. I do, I do believe there was an Adam and an Eve. Um, I don't know exactly how that fits in with evolution or, or, or creation of man. I don't, I don't know exactly what existed before them. Uh, I, I don't have a strong uh, thought about that necessarily. I think it, I'm open to different possibilities, but I do think there were, there was an Adam and an Eve. There was, um, so, yeah, the, the, the stories described there are generally true, but not necessarily hist history in the same way that we consider it, you know, actual, 100% perfectly accurate, not figurative, but literal exactly how things happen. I don't think we need, we need to see it that way. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, let's see, we've got about a little less than 10 minutes. Yeah, I can keep talking a little bit longer as well if, if we're so oh, okay. I, I, yeah, my, my, my meeting, I, am, I had a meeting at one, but it was pushed back. So I have, and now I don't have any meetings till one thirty. so I can, I can talk for as long as I want to. Okay. Well, well just let longer. me know yeah. if you need to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm not sure what the, the best direction to go here is. Um, maybe uh, I should try to press a little more on this idea of on see lots of things are coming up here and we can go in all kinds of directions yeah absolutely hit everything for like a short time or maybe we could drill into more more deeply onto one point and right now i'm, I'm thinking maybe it's better to uh drill into something and sure see see where that takes us so going back to the omnipotence idea and trying to get clear on um exactly what what this is so so, so far we've seen there's certain li limitations on the omnipotence which might lead one to question whether it should be called that sure so one limitation is god can't create something out of nothing at least on your view god also cannot create the laws those are independence yeah. of god uh, I think you know, the most the thing we we're talking about I mentioned is also is most one of the most important things is God can't coerce us to act in a way contrary to our free will ultimately that that free or at least he can't do so in a way that is consistent with the goal of helping us to become perfected um, you know you, if you coerce something if you force something to do something against its will it cannot become like God ultimately God God is God because he freely chooses you know he is he is good because of his character and his nature it's it's not it's it, it is he has to make us that way it has to be our free choice um has to be preserved he can't destroy that free choice if he wishes to help us become in any way like him so that, that it's it, you know in theory he could force people to to act in a way but he would be destroying the purpose of the of creation ultimately like the, the purpose being to help us to to, to help perfect uh his children uh his you know his, his uh, the spirits that he cares about um, it would be incompatible with that purpose to to coerce or to force in a way that that would destroy our our agency so it's it, it, you know, whether he can or can't do it um it's it's contrary to the the very nature and purpose of God to to do so. Okay, so yeah, sorry. 
your uh, okay. it, so it, there's this traditional objection to um, or th this reconciliation that is often thought to be necessary between God's omniscience, in particular his foreknowledge, yeah. what's going to happen in the future, and then human beings' free will. How do you reconcile these? If he knows in advance what we're going to do, are we really free? Yeah. And I, I, I would say, that. yeah, I, I think I, we, we are free to make choices. I, I think God, he sees, you know, the 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 consequences of our actions in such a way beyond our understanding it's like he's you know if, if someone is a a master chess player i was watching the you know, the queen's gambit on netflix recently for instance i don't know if you've seen it but you know great great show on netflix it was about a a, a champion chess player um and her 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 story but uh if she could see 50 moves ahead of where I could see if I play chess. You know, I can see like two moves ahead of me. I'm not a very good chess player. I don't see the consequences of my actions necessarily. So she could see, she's playing like five dimensional chess. Like she sees exactly what's happening uh, and every single move, like every permutation in her head without almost effortlessly. So I, I think that that to me is a metaphor in some ways of God's foreknowledge is he sees all the potentials, all the actions we could take um, and the actions of obviously billions of other people in the world and, and how, what, is going to result from it in a way that we we just can't see it and so he is able to use all those things that happen all those free acts of choice for his good for his purpose ultimately he he sees how to how to do that how to shape what the choices we make in into um the the consequences he wants to see ultimately without eliminating our agency without even altering it without forcing us to do something differently uh, but he sees how to turn something that that would seem to us like a mistake like a a, a diversion um, into uh, his into good. Um, for for Christians, I think with the the ex a couple two examples that that are the kind of traditional Christian examples of that would be one of the fall of man. That in some ways that was a diversion, but it was ultimately for God's good and purpose that he that happened. And then the the, the atonement, the death of Jesus Christ, as well as a similar situation. It was something that uh, was tragic in many respects but also an, a part something that he used to further his plan ultimately so it's it's he's able to use um at what happens in the world in, in a way to to work towards his purpose at the same without ever compromising choice without ever taking away our ability to act freely he, it, he's able to use that for his good um in a way that that is i think beyond our our ability to you know to, to see the consequences of actions Okay, I, I'm not clear on how this is, th that these are actually consistent. Like, let's say that, um, you know, I, I think that uh, I have the choice to, in, in, when I have a choice, I don't know, I can just use my hand here. I can uh, move my thumb or my index finger, yeah. <laughs> just to take a kind of silly, yeah. And I think that I am uh, determining which of those, assuming those are my only two, yeah. in the moment. It's, sure. And so if I'm really determining it in the moment, which of those I'm going to do, how can it be known in advance if it's a free choice? Yeah. I mean... It, I, I can see how you could 
like we can predict there's going to be an eclipse uh, thousands of years uh, in advance, but we also don't think those are free, um, that it could have gone differently. So yeah. I guess if you know in advance, as God does, what's going to happen, then isn't it isn't it true that we can't really be determining in the moment what we're going to do? Because if, 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 it, if it we're really up for grabs, what we're going to do in a, in a given moment, then it seems like God could not. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I think that one answer, one response would be that God doesn't operate in the same time line that we do so he is beyond time he can simultaneously see the present and the future at the same the same moment uh, in a way that we can't uh, but it doesn't he doesn't control what happens in either of those moments necessarily he's not controlling what finger you choose but he is able to see uh, what you what choices you've made at the same time that you're making them i think it would be the traditional maybe traditional understanding of that would be that god doesn't operate um, in the same timeline that we do necessarily. He does see these things beyond us. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting question, ultimately. Um, but part of it is, if what you're doing doesn't ultimately make a difference, that the outcome is going to be the same in time, you know, in a long enough timeline, a long enough projection of time, that also is part of the answer, presumably, where if you know, it, it, the decision you make, uh, at the end of the day, whatever decision you make, the, the ultimate outcome is going to be uh, somewhat similar, um, then it doesn't, that, that's, a, that's another, I think, a piece of, it, of the answer is that God you know, is able to use whatever finger you use uh, for the, the ultimate result, which is to help us. Um, it, that, it, that, that process takes, may take longer or, or shorter, it might be different depending on what we do, but the end result will likely be the same um, in God's time and in an in, in, in eternal timeline, eternal perspective that we might have. Uh, the, the end result is ultimately the same, whether whatever in, interstitial choices one makes, which are, are freely made, but it doesn't matter because the end result ultimately is uh, consistent. I think that that's the other piece of it is one, God is likely not seeing time the same way we do. Uh, and two, uh, the, he is able to direct whatever happens towards his plan ultimately. So I, I don't know if that either of those make, make sense, but th that's, that seems like the, the, both of those are parts of the, the responses that uh, to that question of free will. Yeah. I've heard this sort of response that's, now God, the way he relates to time is different than the way we do. Yeah. Um, but I mean, can it, we really make sense of that? It's hard I to mean, understand, just, yeah. If you, you can always retreat into mysticism and just say, well, this is how I account for that. We just can't understand it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you know, the analogy I've thought about, and I don't know how good of an analogy this is. This is one I haven't thought about in in a while, but it would be that you know, we're simultaneously. Let's say we have a movie on film that we're watching. Uh, we can we could fast forward, we can rewind, we could simultaneously watch on two different screens, two different parts of the movie as they're happening. Uh, but we're not controlling what happens in the movie. Obviously, the movie is deterministic in a way that life is not. So that that would be the difference is that there really is would be choices that actually change 
the the outcome that's happening, and that's the part that we don't that, that we can't envision. Uh, but it's somewhat similar to at the same time seeing the present, seeing the future, but without actually being the being controlling the the, the choices that the, the characters are are making. I think that that, that analogy is, is limited, but it, it does some some work. I think for that idea that you know we're not ultimately he's not controlling us even if he could see what, what the outcomes are going to be, he could see the potential consequences of, of our actions. Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the claim. That's what I don't get. Um, and I, I don't, I think that the movie analogy is, it doesn't quite help here because it's, as you said, it's all deterministic. Yeah, right, and, right. There's no, there's no world where the movie ends different ways every time uh, and it changes. So, so I agree, it's a limited analogy. I think I, I still find it a helpful analogy, but a, but a limited one. Well, I, I don't know that it, it's, it's, it's helpful on the, on the key point, yeah. which is, uh, you know, whether... Um, whether we can act freely um anyways um so yeah uh where to go from here um i i mean i i'm interested in I, one thing I, I would love to hear uh one thing i've always wanted to ask uh, objectivists in the context of talking about faith and selfishness and, and kind of and purpose i maybe i can hear your your thoughts on a question i, I i've been interested in if that if you're, sure. if you're happy to talk about that so one thing that you know as, as someone who's kind of christian or or uh, higher uh, there's really a, a belief that the, the purpose uh it, it you know is to the purpose of life in part is to become uh to to help other people ultimately the, the purpose the, the the way we become who we're meant to be is through selflessness you know becoming uh less uh focused on ourselves and more focused on helping others and more focused on uh blessing and, and sharing things with others and i i i've always been interested in the idea the, the kind of pushback on that from from objectivism and i'm I'm interested in your 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 just your your reaction to that, your thoughts on that. You know, it seems to me that I mean, my my take of it is God is perfect, and because He is sharing and loving, and that's His nature is to to want to whatever He has to not want to keep it to Himself, but to want to share everything that He has with other people. That He because He has such love and and selfless self lessness and empathy uh is, is part of his nature and so i'm just interested in i guess your reaction to that and and you, how that fits into your understanding of selfishness and and you know what it means to be uh what, what that would mean for for morality I, I'm, I'm just really interested in your in your your thoughts on that on the the view that god is uh empathetic and well on, on the kind of how how self selfishness fits into this idea that you know, part of what makes us happy ultimately or makes us perfected or good is this kind of radical empathy, radical caring, radical sharing. Of, like, I don't know if that, that makes sense, but it's it just curious about what, what thoughts you have on that. Well, selfishness as Rand understands it is consistent with caring about other people, having mm -hmm. empathy for other people. Other people are actually a source of tremendous value, at least potentially, in one's own life. 
uh, it can be great to have friends, a romantic partner, and um, you're, you're missing out on a lot of what makes life enjoyable if you don't have those things. So there's no reason at all to um, shun relationships with other people. And then there's actually much reason to embrace having relationships with other people. It's, it's a very selfish, in her sense of the term, thing to do to cultivate relationships with other people. Because if, if what your goal in life is is to achieve happiness for yourself and on her view that is the purpose of life or it's properly the purpose of an individual's life is to achieve happiness well one of the greatest sources of happiness is to have good relationships with other people mm-hmm. so um she's all for that and i mean it, if you read her novels i think you said before yeah. we started recording here you've read some of her novels they're yeah. they're full of um uh relationships between you know the, the, the central characters who are portrayed the ones portrayed admirably at least they have very deep relationships <laughs> meaningful relationships yeah. with each other i don't know if that addresses what you're asking about here but yeah it does i guess i was thinking about this idea you know i mean people that i consider heroes or people really admirable obviously jesus christ being one one person but other even people that, that sacrifice their lives for other people um someone like uh, you know, a, a Schindler who risked his life to to save other people. Uh, ultimately, that that uh, to me that that's the uh, kind of a higher aspiration is to to give up of yourself to help other people. Um, and, and, you know, and I wonder what you make of someone like like a Schindler, like someone who risks their lives, you know, their life, really, you know, almost certain death faces potential certain death if they're caught doing something, uh, faces real mortal danger in order to help someone else and doesn't get anything necessarily out of it themselves. You know, the likeliest outcome is they get killed. Uh, what to make of that kind of moral moral sacrifice or, or, or action of, of selflessness um, and what you make of that. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So I'm interested in that. I, I'm not familiar with the story of Schindler, but just as you describe it, um, I think it does, there are cases where He's not a perfect example of this, but you know there are lots of people that, let's say, in the Second World War, hid hid Jews in their their attics, and uh, you know almost certainly, you know, ver- knowing that the likelihood of being caught was astronomical, and if they were caught, they would be executed or sent to a death camp, and, and many of them were were in fact caught and, and killed. Okay, I think it, it makes sense to risk uh, one's own life in certain cases to take a maybe the easiest case a loved one like your spouse let's say your your spouse is drowning and you could risk your own life to to save your spouse from drowning and uh, that would be consistent with egoism or selfishness as Rand thinks of it because your life will go much better if your mm-hmm. your spouse is still around than if you don't have that person and you might prefer to um die than go on living without your spouse and then you could you could come down by degrees and maybe take someone who's not quite as central to your life as your spouse maybe maybe your child's um or a relative a friend's and then but then you start getting to like acquaintances (laughs) total strangers enemies yeah um and at a certain point 
I think it, it doesn't make sense anymore on, on an egoist view to risk your life. Um, so certainly not, not an enemy. Yeah. You, it wouldn't make sense to risk your life for an enemy, but I think an egoist can have uh, goodwill towards strangers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think part now, does that mean you will risk your life for a stranger? I, not, not necessarily, I don't think. But maybe, you know, you'll you'll hold the door open for a stranger if you know yeah. someone has their arms full trying to get through a door. You might take a few right. seconds just to hold the door right. open. That would be a nice thing to do. Um, so, depending on the nature of the, the relationship you have with the person, I think that's gonna it, it's gonna vary as to what links you would go to to help somebody out yeah i mean the closer it is the more you're willing the the more you're willing to risk like i said yeah. with a spouse you you might even risk your entire life um so i i don't think there's there's like a there's not a one size fits all answer of how to relate to other people um it depends on the relationship uh so hiding hiding jews in the attic if i mean is that is that an egoistic thing to do um i i'm not sure maybe maybe it does depend on the chances if, yeah. if you think it's certain like almost certainly you're gonna die yourself if you don't do this and these aren't jews that you even know yeah they're potentially strangers strangers yeah um, I mean, I haven't thought this through much, so I don't want to put too much weight on this, but yeah, of course. right now off the top of my head, I don't think I would blame someone who didn't help out the yeah. Jews and it would seem at least reasonable, if not, uh, better to, to not risk your life for people you don't even know. Um, so I, yeah, maybe that's an irrational thing to do to help out people you don't even know when you think you're just you're most likely going to get killed as a result of it um, maybe that's just an irrational thing to do and an egoist should definitely not do that that's my off the top of my head answer to that but you know if a lot of those people are who did help the jews if they're very heavily influenced by altruism and the morality of self-sacrifice then maybe that is what at least in part what drove them to take such risks for even for strangers yeah i'd imagine so i mean i it seems like I mean, for me one of the the, the differences you know pre-believing in god versus now is really that idea that everyone is a brother and sister in a way in, in a in a spiritual sense in a deeper sense um a, a cosmic sense uh, maybe that but to me that that's uh, something that kind of blurs the, the the gap in a way where it, you know yes they are strangers right now but ultimately we are as close as a brother or sister. We have that that familial relationship. Ultimately, I think that that changes things for me, at least, from a if the the kind of theistic Christian belief that that we're all ultimately brothers and sisters uh, of the same God. Uh, and I think if we, to me, if I take that seriously, I mean, obviously, I, I'm not perfect. At that. I I would not give up my life for a stranger uh, without you know good feeling or 
prompted or, or desire to do so, you know, a reason to do so. But to that idea, you know, the Jesus Christ being the example to me of someone who gave up his life for his enemies, even for every person uh, who lived, um, I, I see that as to me as admirable. It's it's the the goal is to get to the point where everyone we see everyone as brother or sister or uh, that, that's just how, how I, I, I see God being towards us is that we are all his children we are all loved and, and, and cared for in the same way and, and we, we don't get close to that in this life we're, 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 we're you know, I, I think we're put into relationships families especially because that's a, a, a circle where we can we can be you know, emulate that in a, in a smaller sphere because we're not able to love everyone in the world the same way we need to we, we are limited in how we can love and, and so we i think we are directed in that way towards certain people uh, in our path I, I, that's just my my thoughts on that anyways but yeah that's definitely uh a point i have a different view on like i don't i don't think it's admirable to to love one's enemy i i think that's uh a very bad thing to do yeah. and you know one, one one principle that i i accept is the principle of justice mm. and i understand that to mean um giving people what they deserve and yeah. I, I i think i think enemies uh don't deserve love <laughs> i i think they they deserve some kind of punishment whether mm. it's you know just um ignoring them or uh being you know actually throwing them in jail or you know there's all kinds of things mm. but um what's the why would it be admirable to to love one's enemy mm. I, I would say it's because you know it, 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 if if this life is not the end, if life is you know is something beyond you know that continues uh, after we die, if there's an eternal timeline, that the people that are now our enemies uh, have the potential to become uh, better and to become become better uh become perfected become uh our brothers and sisters or be our you know it, it, so I think to me that it, it's if you have that larger timeline where you know, people now are flawed and limited, but will eventually exceed that, will eventually become the people that, that they, they can be, that, that changes things to me. Um, that, that's kind of what, what I think a theistic idea of the world impacts my, me is it's people are not just what they are now. You know, I, I don't know if you've read any C.S. Lewis, he's a well-known you know, Christian writer. He talks about how uh, the people we see in front of us, you know, uh, they are potential gods and goddesses and and one you know they're, they're being so glorious and one day we could want we would fall and worship them if we could even see them before us you know the, the potential in every person and even your worst enemy has that same potential to that same spark of divine that same spark of of uh, of, of god in them that, that changes the world to me like the one perspective um everyone is divine potential everyone is a brother and sister right? so that 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 idea really changes how i, I see um how we should treat other people um so that yeah that that is the big difference maybe um what I, to me christianity or or, or the, the church my belief says latter-day saint really changed the world is i i see everyone as a potential 
brother, sister, uh, as a potential son of, uh, you know, someone with that spark of divine in them. Uh, and uh, my, how I treat them, I think, helps further that for them. Well, I agree that people have potential to change, but so long as they haven't changed, uh, I don't see that it makes sense to to so long to, to love someone like so if someone is my enemy uh and then so long as they are my enemy then i'm not going to love that person while recognizing that in the future they could uh cease to be my enemy maybe they could even be my friends depending on you know how serious of an enemy they were to start yeah. with I think there might be some limitations on. Yeah, of course. But um, I, I don't see that the the potential to change. Why should that uh, make someone love someone who is right now my enemy? Hmm. Why not just wait until they've they've done good? Actually, you could kind of hold it out as a carrot. They they might be uh, and use your your hatred of them as a as a stick hmm. to punish them, but you might think that you're encouraging their bad side if uh, you show them love insofar as that's even possible yeah. while they're doing bad things. Um, you might think that you're kind of, uh, you know, you're not holding them to a high, high enough bar. You're letting them get away with stuff and abuse you um, if you love them, even when they're doing bad stuff. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that that's, I think a, a very fair point. Uh, I, I think to me, it's uh, the the potential for unearned love has a power to that can transform people. That, I think that's that, that's part of the central idea, at least to me, of Christianity, where which it sets it apart from a lot of other philosophies, is this idea that none of us ultimately deserve the level of love God shows us. It's unearned, it's unmerited, and and God is merciful because He loves being merciful. Showing mercy is part of his nature showing love beyond what we deserve so that that's a big part of my my worldview is that that showing of mercy is powerful it's transformative it has power beyond what would happen if we just have a, a view of justice that we're just seeking what is right and fair and just um justice is is you know there is important but it, it's also tempered by mercy and and uh beyond you know even beyond what what people deserve that that that's i think a a part of the my my christian kind of worldview that that um maybe sets us apart so it's it's interesting it's a, i think it's a really interesting subject it seems then that christianity could be described as being anti-justice because you're yeah. saying you know you're giving people things they don't deserve yeah i i think i mean god god goes Beyond justice, uh, and, and um, there are all you know all theories about how Jesus does that. But Jesus's death satisfies the demands of justice. Is a very Christian way of thinking about it. It's there's this demand of justice, but it is satisfied so that God is you know, not contrary to justice. It's not contrary to justice to be merciful because of what Jesus did. That, that, that's kind of the idea. In, the idea in Christianity is Jesus' sacrifice fulfills some demand for justice in, a, in some way, and people disagree about how exactly that happens or why it works that way, but that's kind of the idea of it is justice is, you know, is already fulfilled. Like, we don't need to worry about justice. We need to worry about love and mercy and compassion, I think is the, 
the the unique idea of Christianity that the you know even I mean even Judaism doesn't have that same idea. This really is a Christian idea that the um, divine the power of of mercy and forgiveness and uh, it, 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 I think it to me it's 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 a powerful one and it's one that I I find a lot of joy in in trying to live my life according to that those principles. Hmm. This is reminding me of the uh, free will discussion, like how that that gets reconciled with the divine foreknowledge. Here we have another thing that it seems yeah. like there's some kind of reconciliation projects that needs to happen. And it seems like there's no justice, but because there's this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that kind of made up for the justice. And as you were just describing it there, it sounds like, you, so I said Christianity seems like it's anti-justice, but then you, you propose this, this way of trying to, you know, say it's really not anti-justice because there was this sacrifice of Jesus. Now can, you know, can I really make sense of that? That's, um, I have my doubts, but uh, I don't know how much time we have left. Yeah, here. I think I have to go because I have a, I have a, uh, a, a call, a work-related call I have to make in a few minutes. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's end it there then. And um, thank sure. you for, for doing this. Uh, yeah. Happy to, happy to talk and happy to talk more if, sometime if you want to as well, but it was fun. Uh, pleasure talking to you. Okay, great. All right. I'll catch you later then. All right. Thanks. Bye.